Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Easel Studio, the Easel broadcast news for epithologists. I'm here to talk about the highlights of the meeting uh, regarding the liver cancer and all the research about that. Uh, it's my pleasure to co-chair this session with uh, Dr. John Charles Nolt from France. And also, it's my pleasure to introduce you the faculties of this meeting. On my right, Jessica Zuckman-Rossi, welcome. Uh, Bruno Sangro, welcome. Matthias Pinter, welcome. So uh, we have chosen some of the presentations uh, during the meeting, but the purpose of this conversation is to casually talk about some of the topics and hot topics in liver cancer. One of the presentations and the highlights, I think, was the presentation of the randomized control trial IMBRAVE 050, comparing atezovib versus surveillance after resection local ablation. This uh, trial, I think, is, uh, uh, represents a milestone in the management of the disease because it's the first randomized control trial that is positive for recurrence-free survival. Uh, for patients at high risk of recurrence. So I would like to open the discussion about the trial and first I would like to ask Bruno, what's your opinion about the study and which are the implications in terms of guidelines and in terms of management in the current management of the disease? Yeah, the first thing we have to say that this is a positive trial with a meaningful uh, endpoint, which is recurrence-free survival. The trial showed that uh, there was a benefit in, in the overall population of a magnitude that is relevant. And indeed, it was stopped at the first interim analysis because of that. Having said that, I think we still have to wait for more prolonged follow-up to learn one thing that would be important for patients in physician-patient conversations. That is, what are the chances that I would never have recurrence if I do this or if I don't do this. And this is something that we can only, uh, we would only be able to learn with more prolonged follow-up. What we know now is that recurrence is, uh, the overall risk of recurrence is reduced with an important magnitude around 30%, which is a lot. So as you said, this is a milestone. There's no, no question about that. And I think I hope, but I also think that with more prolonged follow-up, we will be able to answer the question, what is the true long-term benefit of this approach? And this will guide our, our decisions in, in practice, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also, there is another point of view that we need to take into account. So in advanced HCC, uh, grade 3-4 adverse event related to atezobeb account for around 40% of the patients. Uh, in this trial, 
accounted for 35% of the patients. So more or less the same magnitude of adverse events, but the situation is different, right? In advance, you have disease, the disease is advanced and progressing, whereas here, apparently, patients are R0, no evidence of disease. How do you think, uh, Matthias, that the uh, community, the pathologists, the oncologists, will will handle that and uh, which are the pros and cons in terms of risk benefit of this profile of safety? Well, when you look at the, the type of adverse events, you will see that most side effects were related to bevacizumab. It were not immune-related side effects. You had arterial hypertension and proteinuria. So, and I agree with Bruno. Um, so these, these side effects can be managed, right? We have medical treatment for arterial hypertension. Um, and you can stop uh, bevacizumab, and we know from, uh, from the iMbrave uh, 150 that even if you stop one drug, you don't lose the benefit, actually. Um, so the outcome was quite similar in those who stopped and those who continued both treatments. And I agree with Bruno, it's a positive trial. Um, uh, the, the endpoint was met, um, but even when you look at the survival curves, you know, you get... Um, and you said that it's uh, immature now, the data is immature, and the survival curves may change with longer follow-up. But it looks that you um, uh, have the benefit as long as you treat the patients actively. And once you stop treatment, uh, this uh, benefit seems to disappear. So um, that suggests that you uh, now delay uh, recurrence, but um, you do not really uh, eliminate micrometastasis here. So overall, I think uh, uh, it is a positive study. Uh, we need an option because recurrence rates after ablation and resection are high. We know that. We don't have any other options. So there is an unmet clinical need here. Uh, we, we are talking about the data that have been reported in, in, in meetings. We still don't have the full report of the trial. And one thing that is intriguing to me is the fact that uh, despite having a reduced number of progression events in the, in the uh, Tesobev arm, the number of deaths due to progression are similar. And we, we need to learn more about this in the, in the full report of the trial to understand what, is, what happens to patients be beyond progression. And, and, and uh, because uh, to complicate even more things, uh, a crossover was allowed. So I think we need to wait for the full report of the trial because before we make any fundamental decisions. And I agree. Um, and well, so we have to start with what you said is a positive trial. If the f is the first one, is an unmet need. Physicians need that. There are pros and cons, but anyhow, is a positive. These are good news. Anyhow, one of the issues that we were a bit concerned personally uh, was that the, in the trial they accept uh, patients for resection with, let's say, the Asian criteria. So let's say even two more, two to three. Uh, uh, number of tumors or even beyond size up to five centimeters, uh, BP1, BP2, segmental invasion. So, and then I, I asked the author, what's the percentage of patients actually in the trial that are beyond the Western criteria? They estimate around 15%. But even the patients um, within the, 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 the Western criteria, we need to understand that most of the patients, or some of the patients that we operate in, in the West were not included because of low risk. So, Jean-Charles, do you have 
an estimate of in the percentage of patients that actually with this trial in real life you can use uh, the therapy according to high risk or middle low risk what is your estimate yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's difficult to know because uh, as you say it is uh, most of patients were rejected according to the eastern uh, criteria with uh, and most of patients are hepatitis b patient in the trial coming from asia so it is not the same patient uh, the rate of cirrhosis and the type of cirrhosis, we know that uh, HBV-related cirrhosis uh, is not the same. So I think uh, it, in, my, in my practice, it will be only a minority of patients that are uh, rejected with such large amount of tumors because most of my patients have cirrhosis. With, uh, and when you want to do major hepatectomy with uh, such a huge number of tumors, most of the time you don't do in uh, clinical practice, uh, in my clinical practice. And I don't know, uh, do you do uh, VP1, VP2, cirrhotic patient, large hepatectomy? But no, I, I, in my clinical practice, no. So I think it will be in the minority of, uh, of patients. At the second point, there is a small number of patients treated by ablation. So we don't know. Um, maybe when you are three, four centimeters, uh, you need tumor, maybe it could be a, a good target in clinical practice. But uh, I think it will be a minority. Yeah. One, one other thing that I think would be important in our understanding, and I'm, I'm not sure whether this will be possible or not, would be to see, because most patients were resected, what tumors histologically, ideally genetically as well, have been treated. Uh, uh, because certainly the, 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 the benefit would not be for everyone. No. And, and if, if the tumors have been collected and could be analyzed, yeah, that, could that, be that will be a major difference. Yeah. Uh, if not, we will... I, we will I fully agree, and uh, it's, it's in line with the second topic that we want to... Let's move to yeah, the second. Yeah, for sure, but because it's biomarker of response, and so now to stratify the risk, because uh, as you know, there is no biomarker except alpha-fetoprotein to uh, identify the, a patient who will benefit to systemic treatment, and so we need... Uh, at, for for systemic treatment in advanced HEC, maybe to have biomarker, but also it could be useful in adjuvant setting. So, um, so there is some, uh, some results that have, have been presented on single cell analysis and also artificial intelligence uh, in the meeting. In patients, uh, it's advanced HEC treated by atezolizumab, bevacizumab, and I want to ask to Jessica first about single cell. Maybe you could uh, just uh, summarize why it, wh what is single cell for the public and the audience, because uh, maybe, uh, and what are some of the results that have been presented in the, in the meeting? First. Thank you very much, Jean-Charles. Um, single cell analysis is really a very innovative uh, technique, uh, very expensive also, <laughs> I have to say, that uh, with these techniques, we are able to go more deeply in detail, tumor cell per tumor cell, but not only in the tumor uh, that are really the transformed cells, but also we can assess uh, the nature and uh, the population of the different cells that are infiltrating also the, the tumor. So that is termed usually the microenvironment of the tumor. And we know that in the microenvironment of the tumor, there is uh, the immune response. So there is some cells that are very important for the body to defend against the tumor cells. And uh, 
the analysis with single cell uh, is very important because we can better understand how these different players, the tumor cells and the microenvironment, is uh, uh, playing together uh, in the development of the, of the tumor. But the question was related to uh, the response to the treatment uh, and uh, with the development of the new therapy and with the atezobeva, we are really targeting the immune response uh, with the immunomodulators, but we are also targeting the tumor cells with the anti-angiogenic and the context of uh, the uh, uh, vascularization also of the, of the tumor. So it's very powerful techniques uh, that, uh, and in, that is very important to develop for research at this moment, but because it's very expensive, it's not uh, already into the clinics. Yeah, because uh, one of the question. Will single cell will be used only in uh, research, or if in 10 years, 20 years? No, I know there is some uh, some uh, use of whole genome sequencing in clinical practice. So maybe in 10 years, single cell in clinical practice uh, to uh, stratify the adjuvant treatment and so on, or is uh, it too complicated? The field of sequencing is really in, in, a, in a revolution, and uh, uh, we know that the techniques are evolving uh, very, very fastly, and I, we can predict that also single cell will come in the future, but in the, in the next years. Uh, but it's uh, very important to also enlighten that uh, there, there were some presentations so, uh, during the meeting that enlightened that using single cell, you can pre you, there is an association with a specific population of macrophages that are associated with a response to uh, atezobeva uh, uh, therapy. So it's really opening some... Uh, new avenue to uh, better allocate also the, uh, the therapy and to identify really the patient with the tumors that are the most uh, sensitive to this type of treatment. And this is the future where we, we yeah. need to go with all the techniques in terms of uh, genomics and already with the whole genome sequencing that is introducing, introduced currently uh, in some uh, countries to really define the patients that could benefit of various treatments. If I may ask about technology, um, of course, the, the, uh, the nature of the tumor and the tumor cells, stromal, parenchymal, what, has to be identified by sequencing uh, and, and deeply understanding the biology of the cells. But then we have learned over the last couple of years that artificial intelligence can predict gene signatures just from H and E slides. You think this is something, because that would be way more cheap than... Absolutely. Than and uh, so all the genomics and molecular analysis, in fact, reflect the biology of the tumor. And in fact, it reflects also the, it is reflecting by the phenotype of the tumor. And uh, the histology and uh, the pathologist can identify that also very easily. But now we are in the world of... Uh, of uh, artificial intelligence that is a tool that uh, uh, with, and using this tool, artificial intelligence, we are able to analyze a large number of samples and to translate really the micro differences in terms of uh, histology in, uh, and uh, 
as a traduction and translation of the molecular subtype and the biology, in fact, of the tumor. So it's very important, and we will have a presentation uh, very soon uh, in, uh, in the leg breaker uh, uh, session with uh, the use of artificial intelligence with a group of uh, Julien Calderaro, how to predict, predict also the response to atezobeva uh, therapy uh, for uh, the treatment of HEC. Yeah, yeah, and he used the histological slide to, uh, to predict. But uh, frontline, not associated, he used uh, artificial intelligence to predict the outcome and not to predict the molecular signature that predicts the outcome. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a direct biomarker. It's not a prediction of a molecular subtype. I, I would like to jump back to, to, the, to the single cell thing because the, the study reflects uh, three messages. One is that with a single cell, you can point out which are the key players. And generally, the key players in response were around T cells. And then in this study, macrophages have a role. Uh, the T effector cells and macrophages, that's the first thing. And from here, you can obtain also therapies that can direct to that. The second is that you can translate single cell into transcriptomic data and then bulk analysis. And the third one is that the response of atezobeb is not only based on atezo and the capacity of BEB to switch cold tumors to hot tumors, but also BEBA itself has uh, his own activity. And sometimes we miss that, but in this study we describe also that it seems that there are some patients that respond to, to BEBA alone. Regarding what you were saying about artificial intelligence, I think that this is a revolution and it probably will be the future. Certainly I think that we are at the first steps. Uh, we have been able, Calderaro in his paper in JEP, to identify uh, a flow, a software to uh, uh, accurately uh, define signatures that uh, predict a response with an accuracy area under the curve of 0.7 uh, and above. But then we need to translate that in actual response to the patients. And I would say it's a, it's a next step and it's m much more complex, but we are eager to, to see the results in this session. Maybe you have to move to the last point, what do you think? Yeah, well, the last point was about, and we touched base that uh, uh, with Matthias a bit about the adverse events uh, related to uh, tezolizumab, bebasizumab, and there was a, a paper uh, comparing, it was a retrospective collection of patients comparing adverse events in terms of uh, thrombosis and bleeding related to atezobeb uh, versus lenvatinib, if I recall well. So do you mind to summarize a bit the results yeah. and what is your impression? Well, that was a German a study, actually, from six German centers. And what they did is they included around 400 patients with advanced stage HGC that were uh, treated with either atezolizumab plus bevacizumab or lenvatinib. And they compared uh, bleeding and thromboembolic complications. And what they found is actually that... Uh, Numerically, the number was higher in atebev treated patients for both adverse events, but uh, the number was not statistically significant. And more importantly, uh, they did not find an increased risk of varicil bleeding uh, in patients receiving bevacizumab. Uh, and I think that is important uh, because we are always concerned about the bleeding risk in these patients. And here, I want to emphasize that... Uh, 
has recommended all patients should be screened for varices uh, that undergo anti-VGF treatment and if present they should receive adequate management. But in fact not all not only patients uh, undergoing anti-VGF treatment, all patients actually with HCC should be screened for portal hypertension uh, because we know that not only the tumor but also uh, the portal hypertension and its complications determine the prognosis of these patients. So only if we manage both conditions, uh, we can get the best outcomes. I think that we can take this paper as an excuse to talk about sequencing in, in advance. I think it's a hot topic, and here we have two of the main players. Uh, according to guidelines, we have Atezovib, Durbatreme, Lemva, and Sorafenib in front line as accepted therapies with different indications. Uh, Bruno, uh, can you show us your, in your mind what is the flow in terms of election for first line and then upon progression? Yeah, I think for first line it's easy, but not so easy because we have two different uh, uh, combinations that uh, have shown clearly that they uh, uh, provide better outcomes than, than sorafenib. And these are, this is uh, Durvatremi and Atizabev. So both of them can be chosen as a first-line therapy, but then you have to decide. And to me, it's basically comorbidities and uh, um, patient uh, profile that will be defining in my practice whether I would choose one or the other. And, 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 and in this regard, in, in Western countries, HCC patients being usually older than 60, usually older, older than 65, and many of them having cardiovascular comorbidities, there might be uh, a, a role for uh, these profile to, to, to uh, make decisions. And then those who do not meet the criteria to be treated with immunotherapy, then you have to choose between Limbatinev and Sorafenib, and then we have the data from the REFLECT trial showing that Indeed, uh, Lembatinib was not superior to sorafenib, so I think, again, the safety profile and the patient profile will be essential in choosing between the others. The, 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 the most important thing, or the most intriguing thing, is what, what should we do after, after uh, the failure of, of immunotherapy? Because we don't have any supporting, scientific supporting evidence at all. To me, I think we, there, there is an option uh, to, to use either sorafenib or lenvatinib. But I think in most uh, European countries, what would happen is that reimbursement rules will guide the decisions. I would not be a physician. Decision will largely be uh, a decision based on, on regulations related to reimbursement, which I don't think is the best situation for the patient. Well. Um so you want to comment something? Yeah, uh, just a not a stupid question, a question that my residents ask me uh, every week. No, we could use Durvatrimi in France in, uh, and Atezobev. And if you have a patient, you do a upper endoscopy before uh, systemic treatment, and you find large varices with red sign without past history of bleeding. Yes. No, people say, Bevacizumab, we have Durvatrimi, should we move Durvatrimi frontline if we have large varices with red sign, or what do you do? Well, uh, 
we use uh, atezomib in patients with large viruses as well. Uh, what we do for uh, bleeding prophylaxis is, and that is what many others have recommended as well, uh, we use beta blockers in, uh, in uh, primary prophylaxis, um, so uh, we hardly use endoscopy because that may also delay uh, the start of, of bevacizumab treatment. Um, and from our experience, I mean, we've treated around 100, page, uh, 100 120 patients with atezomib, and we didn't see any any uh, bleeding, uh, very still bleeding events in patients who uh, received uh, beta blockers. No, just uh, do, do you never consider doing starting with atezomib and delaying bevacizumab and after we, ligation? We, we did that in the beginning. Uh, we did that in a few patients. Um, you know, I can't tell you anything about the outcome because it's just uh, two or three patients, uh, so I don't know if, if that makes any difference. Um, but usually we, uh, we do beta blockers, and that is also recommended in, in, in patients with cirrhosis without HCC, um, and uh, it works quite well. Just, can I, just a small question for Bruno. I jump back to the adjuvant trial at Ezobeva. You say in your presentation, but maybe the best is neoadjuvant treatment adjuvant. And do we know the effect of atezobeva in liver regeneration when you do liver resection in cirrhotic patients? Because if you do a neoadjuvant trial, what will happen after resection in cirrhotic patients? Any, uh, any data on that in preclinical model? I don't know. No, not at all that I am aware. Not at all. Uh, and this is, of course, is an important question. Uh, um, the, the, what, the thing is that if you do a tisobev neoadjuvant, because of the impact on wound healing, you would need to stop bevacizumab way in advance. So at the time uh, you need liver regeneration, there will be no bevacizumab effect there. So, but uh, I mean, this is something we have to learn. So we have four minutes, and I think that we. Uh, discuss a bit uh, the front line, second line, but still in my mind uh, it is, uh, well, eventually it is not clear. So if the patient does not have contraindications for immunotherapy, uh, Bruno, I, un I understood that you are saying, okay, I will rely a lot on the safety profile because the type of patients we're visiting and the adverse events, cardiovascular adverse events, and in the case that they tolerate immunotherapy, both drugs are similar because of the reflector ion. But uh, I, I want to drop some numbers here and for the discussion in three minutes. The first is I think that we need also to think about the main endpoints. Of course, cross-comparison, uh, it's not possible, but we're talking about the Tezobeb 19.2 month median survival whereas Durbatreme 16.5, and for me that's relevant. Second, objective response for atezomib 30%, 35 with modified resist, with Durbatreme is 20%. I think that this should be also taken into account in the equation. And regarding the, those patients with contraindications for immunotherapy, it is true. They reflect, there are no difference, so it's an non-inferiority trial that was positive. But from that time point, all the trials testing sorafenib internationally, there is a ceiling of survival in all the trials up to 15 months. And the only, first and only trial, LIPO2, having LEMBA as a control arm, 
So it moved to 19 months median survival with, for me, I mean, in this trial, the, the median duration of Lemba was nine months and already the physicians were used to that. So I think that we also need to understand what's going on in terms of, of outcomes. What, what is your take about that? Well, I think if, if you look, we would look at the last 15 years, we've seen that every new trial with TKI is reported better overall survival with similar time to progression. And I think this is this, the interpretation. There, there, there could be many interpretations, but one that I, that I uh, think is, is, is valuable is we are getting better patients into the uh, uh, phase three trials in the advanced setting. 15 years ago, where patients did not like to do that, and, and, and doctors were tasting patients, were doing tastes repeatedly again and again and again. Now, pets are, are better fitted. And I agree that the results from the lembatinib arm in LIPO2 are excellent. But then this, as a hypothesis, is good. But then when you compare head to head, and this is the value of, of a randomized trial. So w w let's see if one is better than the other. And it failed to prove that superiority. And so uh, I think and I'm not sure we will have, I think we would need uh, trials comparing head-to-head lymphatinib -head, uh, with, with uh, some TKI, some IO combinations. If there is a strong hypothesis for that. So thank you very much. So I think it's time to close this session. Yeah, sure. So um, today, I, uh, first, I, I would like to thank my co-moderator on all the faculties for this in interactive discussion. And today, the Ilzeel Studio Midday Talks at 12.30 will be bringing your practice, changing highlight from, from the ESL Congress 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.